Welcome to Bloom, the podcast where mums share their unfiltered birth experiences. We hope that by listening to their stories, you feel empowered and inspired wherever you are on your own journey. Welcome to Bloom. The highest highs, the lowest lows. The elation at seeing a positive test, followed by the terrible enduring grief of miscarriage. Trying to become pregnant again, yet being unable to accept the fact when it does happen. A physically healthy twin pregnancy filled with anxiety. Desperately needing help, but not wanting it when it arrives. Instagram versus the reality of life with newborns. The torture of two cries and having to decide who goes first. Wanting to do it all yourself and the pervasive guilt when it's impossible feeling entirely in love with your babies, yet wondering, why did we rush this? Meg's journey to motherhood is full of the contradictions and inner conflicts that are relatable to so many mothers. Together, we dive into them all and discover how Meg's is navigating life with her two beautiful boys. I love this conversation because Meg's is just unafraid to say the things that other people would shy away from. She's open and honest, which is so powerful for us listening, because she paints such a vivid and full picture of what motherhood can be like. Get ready for a ride and enjoy. Megs, thank you for being here and agreeing to share all of your experiences with us. Welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Exciting. First podcast I've ever been on. (laughs) So, uh... Not quite sure what to expect, but yeah, excited. Um, I'm good, thank you. Um, I've had uh, the first morning of 14, in 14 weeks of having the twins where I've had a bit of help. How did that go? Yeah, it was good. It was good. Um, a little bit odd in the beginning because I was trying to suss her out and um, make sure I was comfortable with her style and her approach, but she honestly got stuck right in and helped get one of the boys out of the bed at 8am. So yeah, all good, all good. Oh, that sounds like a dream. Well, we'll get into all of your hearing all about your lovely twins. First, I do have to say that between us, we have three babies in the rooms. So what could go wrong? Uh, If you hear any kind of gurgles or cries or whatever, then forgive us, but we're we're juggling today. So what could go wrong? Let's see what happens. (laughs) Let's get into it. So we always start with the same first question, Megs. To get us going, please, could you tell us your name? your age, where you're from, what you do in life, and please introduce us to your wonderful family. So jog my mind if I forget anything, but my name, um, Megan Harrison, I'm called Megs, Meggie, Meggles by many people, Um, age 32, just turned um, married to my husband, Gordon Harrison. Uh, We live in Peckham in South East London. We have a lovely dog who we've had for two and a half years and we've just recently had two twin boys. They are non-identical. So they're fraternal twins and they are called Bowden, Bo and Ramsey, who we nickname Rami. Can you tell us what you do in life? At the moment you're on maternity leave, but you also have another life before babies. What what do you do usually? What do I do usually? (laughs) Have fun. Have fun, go away, explore, travel, <laughs> eat nice food, drink nice wine. <laughs> but and um, you also work, don't you? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so job wise, um, I work um, for a, a department within Google. Um, it's called Google Cloud. Um, and I am in their sales team responsible for selling Google, Google Cloud technologies um, to uh, healthcare, private healthcare institutions. So that's, that's work. Um, I've been there for two and a half years. I've always been in sales, always been in tech, worked for big American companies primarily. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm on mat leave. So these are my first, first kids. So it's a bit weird, um, for me at the moment, not, not working and actually spending all my time at home working on my babies. <laughs> I mean, it's a very different job, but very much still a job and with twins even more. So has that been a difficult shift? Yes and no. So no, in the sense that it feels like it should be so natural, um, and that they're mine and I had them and created them and therefore, you know, should be with them all the time. So in that regard, no, but in terms of the job that I'm now doing, it is so wildly different and it is so much harder than I ever expected it to be, Mm. ever expected it to be. Um, so yeah, very, very, very different to um, to getting up and going into the office and being on my laptop, having calls all day and responding to emails. You know, this is actually the first time I've logged into my laptop. <laughs> so even this feels quite strange. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, sorry to bring you back into the virtual world because it was probably quite a nice break to be in the physical world again. It's amazing that you found the time to do this. So thank you. I'd love to start kind of way back when you were younger. I wonder, have you always... Uh, wanted to become a mum was it always something that was on your mind or was it something that crept up on you as you got older can you tell us a bit about that journey where did it all begin for you always wanted to be a mum absolutely no doubt in my mind about that Um, in fact I think like many many young girls you kind of envisage your life and your family and you think about what what life will be like um you kind of want to mother your younger siblings if you've got them so there's always that kind of innate um sort of nature part of you I certainly had that um and so yeah in no in no doubt did I ever it was never in question um I always wanted to have children um and I always thought when I was younger yeah I'll have children by the time I'm 27 28 you know obviously none of that ever happened (laughs) where do these numbers come from if if I I had the same thing it's so strange I think it's from when you think somebody becomes an adult Mm. um and you know 32 and still don't feel very adult so yeah where where, that was all completely warped those opinions and views (laughs) (laughs) but yes is the answer to your question always wanted to yes I was going to add something else there I didn't know whether to or not but um yes is the answer to your question oh what were you going to add um I was going to add that now that I have them I wonder why I did it so soon fair question because it truly is um, a complete change in in life and yeah. mindset and relationships and uh, feelings of of kind of identity and self worth and and it, it, it's this whole you know Pandora's box of confusion um, and confliction. I think. I think that's such a fair question, and I certainly relate to that. Do you think it's because we just have that body clock? not body clock, like social clock, actually, that's just driven into us from a young age. I think it's, um, there is definitely pressure from social media 
Mm. Um, that portrays the image of having children as being so glorious and cute and cosy and perfect and romantic Mm. and lovable and as a female you naturally have those hormones and and like you say you have that body clock that you're very aware of and you start to tune into I think at a certain point in life coupled with what you then see on social media just triggers all your senses and you think yes that's what I need right now Mm. I need that now that's, that's how I feel. Step. That's that's the yeah. next thing for me. Yeah, that's the gap that I want to fill. Mm. You know, you immediately think that's what I need to make me feel X. Mm. Um, so I think there's an interesting um, psychology angle there as well. And whilst there may be that cute, wonderful, joyous side to parenting, no doubt, what that on a given day that might be between five to fifteen percent of the day. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Or less five some days. Day. Five minutes of the day sometimes, <laughs> yeah. especially with twins. I mean, it must be yeah. even smaller. So I I totally hear you. I totally hear you. And yeah. I think there's a whole world of conversations we could get into around that. Coming back to your story and your journey, how did you and Gordon meet? And when did you start talking about having children? Gosh, what year did we meet? Oh my God. Um, 2012, I think, because it was the Olympics in London. So yeah, 2012, um, we met actually bizarrely the day after I graduated from uni at Leeds. Um, I was coming back home to where I'm from originally, which is Worcestershire. And I went to a family friend's party um, that I actually nearly didn't go to because I was quite hungover from my graduation the night before, the day before. Um, mm-hmm. But went away, went along anyway because I committed and I met him there through a friend of a friend. You said that you're married. When did you start thinking about having children, talking about having children, and when did you start trying to have children? We got married in 2019. Um, we definitely were not thinking about trying um, for a good two years. Um, we were just really enjoying being the two of us and doing lots of lovely trips and, and having independence and, and I guess, to, to some degree, being quite spontaneous and selfish. Um, but that that was what we wanted to do. So I think probably started thinking about it um, certainly two years ago, um, maybe two and a half years ago, Um and we started trying, I can probably tell you exactly actually, because I had, I was pregnant before the twins and I had a miscarriage and that was, that miscarriage happened in June 2022, so last year, um, and we had been trying for at least um, eight months prior to the miscarriage, so yeah. I'm so sorry you went through that miscarriage. What was that like to go through? Absolutely awful. Um definitely one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life and you know I've had hard moments with with things but this was like nothing else because it was so um so emotional um as well as physical um I think to split it into two sections the trying for eight months was just like torture um Mm. second guessing everything you know clocking your ovulation thinking about doing your temperature using all these different apps um everything on the go you know spinning a million different plates to try and work out when you were most fertile Mm. and then with that comes all the or comes rather all of the worry and anxiety about well what if I can't and is it me or is it you and then as a couple you're getting stressed and worried about who Mm. it is and um 
it, it just it just becomes really tough month on month of um you know getting your period frankly is what it comes down to the minute you see that you think oh bugger it hasn't worked again you know how long have we got left and you it starts to zap your energy and it starts to make you think that nothing is you know nothing is going to work and that this is impossible um so just just like relentlessly exhausting um mm. the, the trying i would say um and then when we did fall pregnant, actually, we found out we were pregnant on our three-year wedding anniversary, mm-hmm. so the 4th of May last year, and um, it was literally like, oh my God, this is not possible. Like this, It was just di- absolute disbelief, but complete overwhelming sense of pride, joy, love, elation, um, yeah, that, that I remember specifically feeling so maternal immediately and like mm. super protective of this little thing that had had finally you know stuck and, and had, mm. had formed and had implanted I just couldn't you know couldn't, couldn't can't even begin to describe the level of happiness and pride and just feeling like my life was completed you know it mm. really felt so so magical so incredible how long were you pregnant with that first baby And did you have any signs or inclinations that there might be something wrong or did it come out of nowhere? Yeah, I remember it really clearly. So hopefully I can articulate it quite well. Um, So I think I was three weeks pregnant when we found out we were pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember actually the day, uh, two days after I found out, I was going on one of my best friend's hen dues as a a bridesmaid for her her hen party. Um, And uh, I hadn't told her, but I thought, oh my God, I've got to tell you. Um, so anyway, long story short, we went on her Hindu and I told her as well as a couple of the other bridesmaids, cause I needed the wing woman to help me with the non-drinking and all that sort of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and I actually had my first ever panic attack on the Saturday evening. Um, because I, I, I think it's probably fair to say that in the run up to trying to get pregnant. And then when I was pregnant, a lot of people rightly so had come out on social media and started to share their experiences of getting pregnant and miscarriage was something that cropped up time and time again on my feed mm-hmm. um, of people being really brave and really honest and sharing their experiences and what had happened to them. Um, so for some, for, for, for that reason, having a miscarriage was very much at the forefront of my mind. And I was thinking, mm. I, and, and because I was so desperate to get pregnant for so long and it felt so special and wonderful, I couldn't help but feel like there was a massive risk there. So I went away on this Hindu and obviously didn't didn't drink anything and, and disguised it all quite well and you know felt really ha- happy and proud and but my anxiety massively spiraled that weekend um, so much so that we went to the beach to play rounders and we came back to have showers before going out that evening and I was in the shower and I um, looked down at the shower drain and it was it the shower drain was clearly a bit rusty and it had gone gone a bit of a copper color but in that split second my moments my, my mind saw blood. And all I could think was, oh, my God, I'm bleeding, I'm bleeding, I'm bleeding, I'm having a miscarriage. And I wasn't bleeding at all. And I looked mm. at, the, at the at the drain um, with, with a better view and calmed myself down. And I could see that it was just going a bit ready in colour mm-hmm. um, uh, because it, it got tarnished or whatever the word is. Um, so that was the start of me thinking, oh, my God, my mind's a bit out of control here. And then later that evening, um, I did have a, a very severe panic attack. I've never had one in my life before. I genuinely thought I, I, w- I was dying and my heart rate was out of control. I wouldn't stop shaking. And I said to one of the girls, I don't know very well. You need to call an ambulance. I'm, I'm dying. 
Um, and I thought that I'd been spiked. I thought that the, I'm so out of control, mind and body and heart and sweats. And Gosh. I felt shaky and dizzy. I couldn't walk, couldn't breathe. I thought I'd been spiked, which is why I said, you've got to call an ambulance. I'm on my way, on my way out here. But the thing that drove that was the feeling that, oh my God, I've been spiked. My baby's dying. I'm going to lose this baby. And oh that was gosh, what spiraled me into having this huge panic attack. Um, so, you know, ironically, I had such an insane level of fear for losing that baby. Um, and ironically, it, ha- it did happen um, oh a couple of weeks later. So so what was happening that weekend, you know, there was nothing wrong as no. far as I was aware. You know, we went and had a scan at seven weeks and we saw a heartbeat. Mm. Um Interestingly, at that point in time, I had also released two eggs, but only one was fertilized. Right. Um, so it could have been twins, but only one was fertilized. But yeah, we saw the heartbeat at seven weeks. We saw another heartbeat at eight weeks because at seven and a half weeks, I started bleeding. And I thought, oh, okay. You know, it started quite pinkish, a few spots. And I thought, well, it could be implantation bleeding. You're obviously on Google 24-7, panicking nonetheless. Yeah. But I remember reading this article on Mumsnet, um, on a Mumsnet forum that I also sent to my mum. Uh, which was, you know, lots of women saying this is normal, it's implantation, you know, I bled for the first 20 weeks of my pregnancy, and I've got a healthy two year old now. So read loads of positive stories, tried to calm my mind, but there was always this, this kind of devil there telling me something's wrong, this isn't right. Um, But I tried so hard to be strong and just believe that I would be one of those people where things were okay. Mm. So we went for another scan, um, which was just absolutely I was horrifically nervous for um but again so even though I was bleeding another heartbeat was seen um mm-hmm. and she said look mum you need to calm down everything's okay you're clearly worrying um you know calm down bleeding can be normal just monitor it um and then the bleeding got very heavy one evening and my husband turned to me and said um look Megs I, I think I think we need to go into the hospital I, I don't think this is I don't think this is a good sign Mm. um and I couldn't hear that from him at the time I thought no I'm not I'm not hearing that that like that negative attitude is just not what we need Mm. but lo and behold we did go into the hospital that evening into the early pregnancy unit um saw an amazing consultant I still remember her name she was called Gemma Johns Mm. um and she um she unfortunately broke the news to us that there was no longer a heartbeat and that I was in fact miscarrying Mm. and um I can't even describe the feeling of hearing those words it was just the most heartbreaking feeling of loss that I've mm. ever ever experienced in my whole life I'm so sorry Megs it must have been devastating it was it was awful yeah I can't it, it, it's kind of quite indescribable mm. um you know, there's also this part, part, part of it is like, you know, I didn't ever meet you. I never met you. I'm so sorry that I've lost you. You know, you were there and you were something and we tried for so long to get to have you and we've now lost you and uh, all these emotions of what did I do wrong come to the forefront of your mind. You know, should I have done that workout at Barry's Boot Camp in Victoria two days ago? You know, all this stuff. And you did nothing wrong. And clearly it wasn't meant to be and you know, I've now come to terms with the fact that your body is so clever, that the female body is so clever that it will know whether something is going to be right or wrong. And in that, in that instance, you know, clearly that baby was not meant to be, or could have been a poorly baby or, Mm -hmm. you know, all sorts of things, um, you know, may have gone wrong. So my body decided to, to do the right thing and end it early. And that's the way I've, I've I've come around to accepting what happened. Obviously you will never forget that baby, but do you have any kind of peace around 
around that loss? Um, I don't know if I have, I don't know if peace is the right word. I think it's just acceptance. Mm. I think it's just acceptance that we did create a baby and we Mm. did create life. Mm. Um, And that these two that I now have, you know, they weren't my first because they weren't, they don't feel like they they are my first because they weren't. We we had created one before them. and so I think it's just acceptance that, that that's our story and that's what happened. Um, and it is still incredibly sad today, you know, I think about it. It's, it's incredibly sad. And I still feel all those feelings of, of despair and sadness and anger. And, and I, I don't think that goes away. I don't think that goes mm. away. And lots of people said to me, you know, just try again and that's the best way to get over it. And as soon as you have another one, you'll forget what you went through. I don't I don't agree with that at all, for me anyway. I wonder, as you and Gordon tried to cope with that loss, when were you able to start thinking about, okay, we would like to try again or bring yourselves because it must also really knock your confidence? Massively so, yeah, massively. Um, I would say, though, we, we, we did... Um, we did think about trying quite quickly um, Mm -hmm. afterwards um, just because I couldn't bear the idea of going for another eight months of trying and then the same thing happening again. Mm -hmm. Um, So just to some extent what people were saying, you know, try again, it'll help you get over it. To some extent, the short term, that was a short term fix. Mm -hmm. Um, um, I don't think it takes away from the loss. I don't think it ever makes you forget it forget what happened because it's intrinsically part of who you are and you change as a person when something like that happens to you and you realize where your values are and what your priorities are so you do Mm -hmm. fundamentally change but we did start trying again quite quickly because the idea of wasting time again in inverted Mm -hmm. commas that's how we that's how I felt about it at the time that we would be wasting time by not trying um and then not knowing how long it could take again was was we also felt like torture um, so we did try again, um, and actually I only had one period after the miscarriages and one menstrual period uh, before I conceived the boys. So it happened very, very quickly. Um, wow, okay. So after eight months the first time, then effectively a month to two months? Effectively, Im- immediately, yeah, effectively. Because we, we did have a, you know, a period of waiting because the advice from the consultants was, you know, your body has been through... Um, a trauma it needs to needs to kind of flush out everything that it had created and you need to have a, a menstrual cycle that's kick-starting again and then you know your body will, will will in theory be able to think about trying again so that's that's the advice we took so so literally a month after having had a first period we fell pregnant again which wow. was just a very interesting time in what way interesting really hard to be excited really hard to accept it really hard to believe it Mm. um and I actually just preferred to bury my head in the sand and pretend like I wasn't pregnant because it was a complete protection mechanism that I Mm. had did did that mean you didn't tell people you didn't talk about it what at what point did you start feeling like this is happening um (laughs) probably when I was about 26 weeks pregnant really if I'm really, really honest, and we didn't tell people, certainly until we were 20 weeks pregnant, mm-hmm. um, I just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't fathom that it would, that it would be successful. Um, and actually, we didn't do any early scans, because again, I just thought, I, I, I don't want to know, I'm just going to carry on as if my life is normal. Um, and 
I was absolutely petrified of the 12 week scan that you get with the NHS over here. Mm-hmm. And I said that morning, I can't go, I can't do it. I'd rather just completely, you know, continue to live in ignorance and not know what's in there because I can't deal with being given bad news. Um, but of course we did go because, you know, <laughs> they have a duty of care to, to know about my, my body and my pregnancy and my baby. So my husband, you know, encouraged us to get up and go and get to that scan, but it was incredibly stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point we didn't know there were two in there and I lay down and I burst into tears and I just said, look, you need to tell me as quickly as you can, whether there's a heartbeat because I can't it, it, just tell me within, within a second that there's a heartbeat or not, because I'm, I felt as though I was about to go into a panic attack mode again, mm-hmm. just out of fear. Because this was really the first time in 12 weeks that I had properly faced the fact that I could have been pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or rather was able to accept the fact that I might be pregnant, that this thing might actually have existed for 12 weeks and lasted for 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I heard um, do-do-do-do-do-do-do really loudly on the speaker. But I didn't know what that was because in the previous pregnancy... In the two early scans I had, they didn't have the heartbeat playing out loud. So I was like, what was that? What's happening? What's happening? And immediately thought that noise was associated with something exploding or going wrong. It's amazing where your mind associates negativity to. Wow, okay. Um, And then what happened was the the sonographer uh, stopped um, scanning me. And the machine all went black. And I was thinking, "What, what, what, what the hell is going on here? And he swapped with the lady in the room. So there was somebody else in the room making notes and they swapped over. And I thought in my mind, why the hell have you swapped over? What have you spotted? What What, what is going wrong here? And both my husband and I were just probably look like ghosts, you know, faces mm. sheet white. And um, she said, Megan, you have a, you have, I can't remember exactly what she said. It's such a blur. And my husband and I actually remember it differently, bizarrely. <laughs> I think she said, I think she said, Megan, you have two babies here. My husband thinks that she said, Megan, here's the first heartbeat and here's another heartbeat. So it, between us, we, we're, we're completely confused on, on what was said. Um, but either way, the news was broken to us that we had twins. Oh, my word. And I could have fallen off the bloody chair that I was lying on. It was the most shocking um actually quite hilarious moment like I I I I burst into laughter because that's the way I deal with shocking situations um I just couldn't stop laughing and I couldn't stop swearing and gasping and I think I told the sonographer to 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 fuck off actually (laughs) (laughs) I was in such shock um I'm sure they're used to that so uh yeah it was just a lot to process going going into that room thinking please just be please just be there please just be just there be to, alive yeah just be alive to being told you have two babies growing <gasps> and they're alive in there oh my so what happened then I mean did, did you go from disbelieving protecting yourself to accepting those two babies were then there in the space of like what half an hour or something or did no no what what was the process then of getting to terms with what was going on oh there wasn't a process at all and I was all over the place until honestly about 26 weeks when I sought some help um I had high intensity CBT um okay because I really 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 struggled to understand and comprehend and um yeah I guess diagnose what was what was going on I really struggled with with the whole idea of what was happening inside me um 
I mean, the poor sonographer, we saw her quite regularly because I was considered high-risk pregnancy, even though the babies weren't technically at risk. But I guess with, with two, you're seeing a bit more um, because there is more risk. Um, and I, I remember saying to the lady, she was amazing every time, are you sure there's two in there? Because in my mind, they're just I just couldn't believe it. I just thought, there's no way. You're just scanning the same thing over and over. You know, you've done one. <laughs> you're doing the head. You're doing the circumference. You're doing the, the length of the... <laughs> thigh bone and now you're doing another one but you've just got the same one you're just duplicating that that was genuinely my mindset that she yeah. was not doing her job correctly and that she was just right. doing the same baby over and over because I couldn't fathom the fact that there were two inside me you say you went to cognitive behavioral therapy what does that mean for those who don't know and what did it do for you so it's a form of therapy um, and I was referred uh, to see a high intensity cognitive behavioural therapist by the NHS. So, so I had a referral um, because I had um, high levels of anxiety and disbelief uh, during the whole pregnancy. Um, mm. Wasn't able to get excited, wasn't able to come to terms with it, wasn't able to feel confident at all. Um, and that obviously had you know horrible repercussions for the best part of my, my pregnancy. Um and so I had somebody that I could talk to about my feelings and they were able to help um, make some suggestions on how I could incorporate things like, you know, a bit of breath work into my day, a bit of meditation, a bit of mindfulness, just to try and ground myself and to stop my thoughts from spiralling. Because what, what happened mm. as I progressed in the pregnancy, as I started to get big and feel, okay, there is something happening, was I got this huge, overwhelming um bout of anxiety that these babies wouldn't survive and that these babies wouldn't last mm. and that one of them would die you know I literally mm. I thought one was going to die and I know that probably sounds really brutal and dark and horrible but that was my mindset I couldn't I couldn't mm. comprehend that I would have two healthy happy babies at the end of this process and I was having dreams about them being pulled out and one of them not being it was just awful it was just mm. awful mentally um and so this lady actually really helped me funnily enough I had an email from her this morning and we're going to try and have another another chat this week um because she wants to know how I'm getting on and and you know you know Migs that this has been quite a difficult um yeah just motherhood is is overwhelming and difficult let alone having two newborns to deal with when you've yeah. already kind of yeah, it's just, you know, they've come out of you, you've been anxious up until the day of the birth and suddenly they're here and bang, you're expected to nail it and do everything. And so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to have a call with her and have a review and, and understand how I could potentially still get some ongoing support because it's just a roller coaster. It, it's a total roller coaster and it's a wild roller coaster. Did you find those sessions helpful then? Did it help you find that grounding and help to combat some of that spiralling in your head at all? It did, Um it did, and I had some exercises to take away that I could do on my own. Um, one of which was really, really simple. You know, close your eyes, um, put yourself um, into your, your, the birthday. You know, put put yourself in the hospital. Um, you've had the boy, you've had the babies, you've had the boys. Um, picture them being on your chest, both of them lying next to you, lying into you. You can smell them. What does that smell like? So it was lots of those kinds of exercises, which in the moment was just so calming and relaxing and mm. really enabled me to visualize the good and what was going to come at the end of this rather than something bad happening. Um, but I have to say, uh, as soon as those calls ended and kind of real life 
started again or you know all, just those those negatives and out of it yeah, but it, it's all it's all part of being anxious and worried and trying to protect yourself I, I think is where it comes from that you just yeah it was really hard to implement those lovely visuals all day every day because you naturally become anxious again or you know there were days where I wouldn't feel a kick at all um and I'd think oh my god one of them's not there or I was so big at points I was lying in bed and I'd be turning over and I'd be thinking oh my god I'm squashing one of them but then I turn the other side and I'm like oh I'm squashing the other one and so I just always had these these thoughts of I'm doing something harmful to these babies or I'm hurting them there's two of them they don't have enough room they can't grow they can't you know they're kicking each other they're, they're twisted they're stuck it all just all these crazy well not crazy actually but just all these thoughts and it's funny I don't know if I would have had those thoughts if it had just been one I think it was a whole extra complexity and yeah. added anxiety because there were two. So there was double to worry about, which I think drove a lot of this um, continued anxiety through pregnancy. Well, through 12 weeks when we found out and beyond. And let's not forget that through all of this, through your conception journey, through your miscarriage, through your second pregnancy, you're also at work trying to hold shit together every single day and you're in a high powered role, how were you getting through? What Did anyone at work have a clue what was going on? Or were you just keeping all of this, you know, hidden and private and just trying to crack on with what you needed to do? The latter, yeah, hidden and private and tried to crack on. Although I have to say, I did actually have um, a couple of weeks off work in August. Um, so Google are very good, actually, and they, they give all, all sorts of leaves for various different reasons. And there was a miscarriage leave. Um, and I came back to work one week after having had the miscarriage, not aware that I was entitled to have to, to leave. Um, but I came back clearly far too soon and went into a major downward spiral. So in August, I thought, you know what, I found out about this leave. I'm contacting HR and I'm going to agree to take it. So I did have three and a half weeks off in August. So in, in effect, I kind of came back to work in September um bearing in mind my 12 week scan wasn't until October so I still I was coming back to work knowing I was pregnant again but feeling so overwhelmed and anxious about it um and I don't think I told anyone at work certainly until after 20 weeks and even then it was it was one or two people did did it help you that it was separate or would you have liked on reflection would it have helped you for th- for it to be for more colleagues to know or actually was it nice to have that separation for yourself nice to have the separation yeah I really felt strongly about that this time around because I just didn't feel com- confident or comfortable it, that that like I said earlier like like what was happening was happening if that makes sense yeah so I didn't feel comfortable sharing my situation until I was able to accept that that was what was happening yeah I know that's probably a really roundabout way of saying it and I've just repeated myself but I hope that makes no, sense that makes sense and so obviously there's a lot of the emotional, mental strain of what's happened and happening to you um, throughout this pregnancy. What about the physical side of things that clearly two two babies, you've touched on it, you're, you're enormous with two babies. I mean, you feel enormous when you have one baby. I, can, I can't imagine how how enormous the impact of having two babies inside of you must feel. 
did you um, have any complications as you're getting towards the birth? What was the physical toll like? And how did it all go as you got towards the birth? So thankfully, no health complications at all. So no um, preeclampsia, which actually is quite common for twins. So I was being checked quite regularly for that. No gestational diabetes, blood pressure and, and everything remained you know, pretty normal, um, which I was quite shocked at, um, especially because my diet was just chocolate and crisps and bread. Um, I really <laughs> thought, you know, I might be teetering on the edge of uh, of getting gestational diabetes or certainly a high blood pressure. Um, so no, 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 no health complications at all, thank goodness. So that was incredibly fortunate. Um, from a physical size perspective, I, I was absolutely ginormous. It was like I had just swallowed a space hopper. Um, <laughs> I, I don't I still don't understand how I was that big I was looking back at photos the other day it's absolutely nuts um but I definitely struggled with exercise I struggled with walking I had horrific back pain I had horrific hip pain at night um so I would I'd be awake most of the night in the last two months certainly of the pregnancy um with hip pain with cramps with backache um with reflux as well mm. um I ended up going on to a meprazole um medication which was prescribed to me to try and help with the reflux it was absolutely horrific in fact that started in November I remember because I was in New York watching my husband do the New York marathon that was November so I was only four months pregnant no four and a half months pregnant and my reflux started then and again, everything must be amplified when you have two of them, like more hormones flying around, more kind of impact of all of these separate symptoms. But reflux is one of those ones that feels like just that sneaky, horrible thing that that's just kind horrible. of layered on top of that you don't really expect. And it's just layered on top of everything else. And it doesn't go away. Or I mean, I didn't find it went away until until the birth I don't know how how it was for you same exactly the same and I had it in conjunction with heartburn so it was just like this pain this feeling of fire coming up my chest it was awful so I wasn't able to sleep for all of those things that I've just mentioned um so physically it was it was really 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 hard and getting out of bed in the night I was like this whale trying to roll over and figure out how I you know get strength from my legs to haul myself up because I had no abs at all um and then I guess, you know, I guess more from a vanity perspective, but I I had managed to go through my whole pregnancy without getting one, well, I thought my whole pregnancy without getting one stretch mark. And um, in the final two weeks of the pregnancy, I looked down at myself and I was just covered with these like shiny, shiny, white, purpley stretch marks from, you know, all the way up past my belly button that I still have today. Mm. And I remember thinking, no, how have I, how have I gone so long without these? They've come at the final hurdle, but now I'm, now I'm sort of looking at them thinking, well, that's, it's just, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing because it's, it's, it's a mark, literally a mark of having had the boys and grown the, the two boys. So I kind of have changed my mindset on that now. And I think, you know, it's really something to feel quite proud of. Um, but I remember at the time thinking, no, this is awful. <laughs> and I don't think it's vanity at all because it's your body and you're going through so much. And it's normal that you're just having to grapple with so many changes. I don't think it's vanity at all. And it takes a long yeah. time for us to then come to terms with our new bodies, I think, because it is a new body. I think you can't deny that after after having children. But that's quite a lot to get your head around. It is. It really is. Yeah, it's, it's been really hard to get my head around. And actually post-birth... I feel like my body is even even more different. I, I guess that that that's as it should be. But 
I felt like through pregnancy, I I just grew in my stomach. But actually, since having had the boys, I've grown everywhere. Yeah, the weight gain has been huge, which I didn't expect. And I'm breastfeeding as well. And I'd always heard of you breastfeed, you lose weight. You know, it's the best way to, to lose the pregnancy pounds. But in my case, breastfeeding is doing nothing for my weight. In fact, I think I'm gaining weight. And I've been, do- I've been Googling each night, why am I gaining weight breastfeeding? And there's all sorts of responses and articles on, well, you know, in order for your body to create the milk, you need to, your body needs to hold on to the fat so it stores the fat and you're not burning the fat because that, that's what goes to create the milk and you know, all these things that, you know, it's, I guess it's part and parcel of trying to accept, like you say, this new person that you are, this new body and like, you know, desperately at night, in the middle of the night, trying to seek answers as to how I can get back to what I was before. But the reality is I probably won't. So it's a whole nother world of, of kind of um, acceptance and realisation. Did you have expectations as to how you would like the birth to be? And did you have options as to how it could be or were those decisions taken out from under you because for medical reasons, as I know sometimes it is with twins? Yeah, so all the way through the pregnancy, I was told that I had options. I was told that it could be a vaginal birth, it could be a planned C-section and that we wouldn't really know until about 33, 34 weeks, because it would depend on the position of the babies. Um, So that's what I was always told. Um, Personally, I always wanted to go for a vaginal birth. Um, I think, again, back to your earlier point, you grow up with this idea that you will birth that way. That's what, you know, you're you're brought up to, to, to believe is natural and the way to do it. Um, And frankly, I always thought I'd have one baby and never even considered really that I might have twins so I always thought in my head yeah I I want to do it vaginally and I and I thought the whole way through even with the boys you know I will do this vaginally because um that feels like the natural way to complete the cycle you know I've I've conceived them naturally I've carried them this whole way and now I want to get them out naturally um you're not actually supposed to say the word natural anymore um supposedly so you know, hopefully that's not offensive to anyone. But, you know, in my mind, I think that is that is your body's natural way of, of meeting your baby and getting your baby out. And I actually really struggled with the concept of having a cesarean um, because I thought, and again, my experience, um, my opinion here, I always thought it was quite clinical, um, you know, quite, um, yeah, it's a procedure, isn't it? You know, it's an operation. So I, I thought, well, I don't want that at all. I couldn't get on board with that at all. Um, and I actually felt really scared of that being an option. Um, but anyway, long story short, got to 34 weeks. They said, look, the boys are both breached. I had two heads literally up under my boobs. And they said, we just medically will not, will will not recommend you have a, have a, have a vaginal birth. Um, and at that point, you know, I think, well, that I, I definitely don't have the know-how or the experience to fight this. So let, let's get prepared for this, for the C-section, um, and we booked they booked me in for a c-section when I was 37 weeks plus five um so just shy of 38 weeks and honestly I thought I wouldn't make it I thought I might go into labor naturally because I was so 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 huge and I had so many pains I had actually Braxton Hicks for six weeks before birth maybe eight weeks actually where it was fake contractions I had to go in a few times to be monitored um so I really thought there's no way I'll get to that date there's no way I'll get to the 4th of April um and when it got to the 3rd of April, I was thinking, shit, tomorrow's the 4th of April and I haven't gone into labour, which means tomorrow is my C-section. And I just, it was so bonkers. It was so bonkers to get my head around. Mm. You know, even up until that point, 
Wow. And we got we got a taxi. We had an Addison Lee pick us up at 6.30 a.m. And even then, getting into that car, I was like, what's happening here? What is this? What what What's happening today? I just couldn't, I couldn't grapple with it at all. But there's so much to grapple with. What were you and Gordon talking about? How were you both feeling? Super focused on what was about to happen in terms of the surgery and in terms of getting the boys out. I, I personally do not believe that you can understand what's going to happen when you take your babies home until you're in it because you don't people can tell you but you just can't comprehend it um because it hasn't been your reality before so I think it's really really hard to get your head into the zone of right well when we have these babies and when we get home this is what we'll do you know we'll we'll lay out x y and z like this because this will work for us I don't think you can feasibly think like that at all you can't jump into that 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 part because you are so in the heightened moment of I think making sure that you're okay and your babies are okay that becomes the absolute priority and everything centers around that the minute you go into the hospital so what did happen so we went up to reception and we checked in it was super weird it was like checking into a hotel because we had a massive suitcase with us and we were Megan Harrison yep here, here to have twins um really strange um waited in this waiting room we were the first people there and then along came another couple with their suitcase and another couple with their suitcase and that just made me feel so nervous um because that was when reality really set in of what was going on and I think we waited in there it was absolutely boiling we waited in there for probably 45 minutes I couldn't sit down even though I was so heavily pregnant I could not sit down I couldn't stand still had itchy feet itchy legs I just I just felt so anxious um, the midwife came through and she said, right, we're all here. Um, this is the order of the C-sections. And I was the last one to go. And I couldn't believe it because I'd been told by my consultant that with twins, you're prioritised um, and you're likely to go first. But it turned out there was another lady also having twins. So I think out of five of us, two of us were having twins and the other three were having one baby. Um, and I spoke to the midwife and I said, look, is there any way I can go first? Like I literally feel... I, I I genuinely am not making this up when I say I felt so dizzy and weak and faint at the idea that I I wasn't just going to go first and that I'd have to wait and then hear all these other people come mm. back with their babies and because you're all on the same ward and it literally is like one operation the next the next the next wow so I remember coming back having had the babies coming back to the ward and all these other women could hear the the the, the one baby I, I had with me which is probably something we'll go into shortly but they could all hear my crying baby. And they were next up. So it's just this weird, it's this weird process. They, I was told to get dressed into a gown. They then did allow me to go first. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. Um, and I met the anaesthetist. Uh, she put the camera in my in my hand. I think that's what you call it. Um, I had to sign a form um, consenting to the spinal block and kind of recognising all of the potential side effects and risks associated with having that. Met the surgeon. It was all very formal, very surreal. Um, and um, I needed the loo. I was desperate to go to the loo, and I was thinking, and I really, I really needed a poo, basically. And I thought, if I don't go by the time the, the spinal block goes into me and I go numb, I, I'm going to poo in front of them all, and I won't have known I've done it because I won't be able to feel it. And that was all I could get. That was all that was in my head at the time. I'm thinking, I need to go to the loo now because I can't <laughs> cope with that happening which is just ridiculous you know what where your mind on goes on top of everything yeah oh, yeah exactly yeah. um and then we went into the operating theater I was told to sit on the edge of the bed I was told to round my spine which was really hard to do this huge bump um 
and the spinal block went in and whatever else happened, I don't know. I was, I was shaking. I was literally shaking. She kept telling me to calm down and I couldn't calm myself down. And then I was lowered onto the bed. Sheet was put, put there and she said they were just going to prepare a few things. And, and essentially, I don't know, maybe five, ten minutes later, the anaesthetist said, um, okay, dad, can we have your phone? Because baby number one is about to pop out. And I was thinking, oh my God, what? Like... I had made the assumption that they'd started because my whole body was felt like it was being twisted and turned and I didn't want to ask and I and the anaesthetist could see how nervous I was that she probably made the right you know instinctive assessment to not tell me when they'd started so I had an assumption that they'd started but I was not really sure okay. and then when she said here comes baby number one I was like oh my god I'm I'm open right now they, they've, they've cut into me wow. and here comes the first one it was wow. so surreal Wow. Um, and I could hear hear him um, have a little cry. And it was just crazy. It was crazy. I could sort of see him from the screen that the um, the recording that the anaesthetist um, did. So I've got both birth videos, actually, which I couldn't watch for a while. But a couple of weeks after the birth, I could watch it quite, quite confidently. Wow. Um, so it was mad. And then so he was born. Uh, so Bo was born at 9.42 and Ramsey was born at 9.44. So two minutes apart. Two minutes apart. Bo was first. Rami was second. Yeah. Wow. OK. And so Bo gets passed to Gordon while Rami comes out. No, Bo, Bo gets um, taken over to be wiped down and weighed whilst they're getting number two out. And I can't, to be honest, it's a bit of a blur. I think. I think then they're both taken over to be weighed and then Bo gets passed to to Gordon and then to me or I can't I can't remember. I was I was so drugged up, I was so out of it. Um in fact I distinctly remember feeling very, very shaky and sick and I kept saying, I feel sick, I feel sick, I feel sick to which the anaesthetist kept kind of manipulating what drugs I was having. Uh, she was incredible. Uh, for anyone having C sections, the anaesthetist is your best friend because whatever you feel they will be able to hopefully tinker with, with your meds and they'll be able to guide you through, okay, I've just done this and in five seconds you might feel like this. Mm. And it really was very much what she said happened. Mm. Uh, yeah, so then Rami... Um, it's very confusing with what happened to Rami, but long story short, um, he was probably passed to me for maybe a very, very brief 10 seconds um, just for just for photographic purposes, I think. Um, but then a whole team of probably 30 people ran into the room. Um, I remember it vaguely. It's a bit of a blur for me. Uh, again, I think because of the drugs I was on, um, that a load of people came into the room, a red, red cord was pulled, emergency cord. Um, and then he was kind of whisked away very, very shortly after um, and taken up into the neonatal intensive care unit. Um, but I, I probably, I probably had about eight hours or so of, not really knowing where he was or what was happening to him and, and also like not overly caring, which sounds really weird to say, but I was so overwhelmed and out of it. And because I had Bo with me, mm -hmm. I had that distraction and I had this sense of, I, I birthed my baby and it was really hard for me at the time to realize there was another one and that he was in a different part of the hospital. So that is a whole other emotional torment um and whirlwind um but at the time I was just so overcome with the emotion for the fact that I had this one baby with me 
Yeah. And I hadn't really ever met the other one that it was almost that out of sight, out of mind type thing. Even though the consultants were coming down to me every couple of hours, giving me an update on what was happening, I was still unable to process that I had another baby um, somewhere. Wow. And what had happened to Rami? What was going on now, looking back? What was the medical reason? It's still quite hard to um, it's still quite hard to understand, really. But it was to do with his breathing. He was not able to breathe independently. Okay. Um, and he basically, so when I watched the birth video, he actually came out in his sack, um, and they burst the sack in order to get him out, and they dragged him out very quickly. Um, it was literally like lambing, if anyone's ever seen lambing before. Mm. Um, it, it's quite nuts how animalistic it is. Um, and they think that because he came out in his sack and they burst it, that he potentially swallowed some of the fluid that went onto his lungs. But again, not sure, because I think he had a lung scan and they couldn't find any fluid. But anyway, some something clearly happened. Right. Um, that sometimes they don't get to the bottom of, but it, it meant that he wasn't breathing independently, so he needed support. So he had an OptiFlow um, and a number of other things. His blood was being checked every two hours for the oxygen level in his blood. Um, he had a number of different tubes supporting him. Um, Gosh. Uh, he, I think it was called transcostal recession he had. So when he was breathing... Uh, the gap between his lungs and his ribs was really recessing. So he was drawing in hugely in order to breathe, which meant he was expending too much energy mm. and he didn't have enough oxygen in his blood. Um, so yeah, it, it was about, it was, it was to do with his breathing and he ended up being in the intensive care unit um, for three nights, I think. Wow. And he actually ended up uh, um, going up a level. So he went from ICU up to HDU, which was high dependency unit which was really scary for us because we just still felt out of control as to where he was and what was happening and why this was happening. But we had such a focus on the fact that we had this baby, this other baby with us. So mentally it was very hard to comprehend the two of them as one, if that makes sense. And so you've just gone through major uh, surgery. You are sort of on the come down after all of these drugs You've got Bo with you. Gordon, R- Rami's in the high dependency unit or the ICU. Gordon, he must have been all over the place between the three of you. How how was his his experience of all of this? Overwhelmed, worried. Um, yeah, I guess out of control, really. Um, I think during the birth, it was very much supporting me and making sure that I was feeling okay and supported and confident and calm, even though I wasn't, but that was his job. He felt like that was his job, rightly so. Um, And then as soon as the babies were born, suddenly he had this job of, right, tend to my wife and make sure she physically is okay and she's recovering well and her heart rate is fine and all, all of her vitals are fine. And my baby that's with us, making sure they're able to feed okay and that they're dressed appropriately and if they're having their nappies changed and because I couldn't do any of that um I mean I don't think most mums can as soon as they've given birth frankly because you can't really move your body and in, in my case I couldn't I couldn't feel my legs for over 12 mm. hours so um I couldn't even I couldn't even move move my baby toe um so I wasn't able to do anything with Bo so Gordon had to do all of that um 
you know, passing him to me for a feed and putting him back and all that sort of stuff. Um, and he also then had this other baby to grapple with that was up on a different floor um, who was quite medically unwell. Um, so I, I, I can't, I probably won't even do it justice to try and explain how he, how he must have been feeling um, other than the fact that he was utterly exhausted and um, emotional, incredibly emotional. He would go up to see Rami, um, you know, probably every afternoon and spend a couple of hours with him and then come down and see me and give me an update and check in on how Bo's progressing. And it was just very, very emotional um, for all of us. Gosh, I can I can't imagine. And he would send me he would send me little videos of Rami up in up in his incubator. And, you know, I'd receive these videos from from two floors below thinking, genuinely looking at it thinking that could be any baby you know is that is that is that is that definitely mine do I definitely have is that my baby is there another one like it was really hard for me to comprehend that I had another one I suppose you've not had any time to bond with him exactly when did you get that chance when was it that you were a full team for the first time oh gosh um yeah, about three days later, um, when we when we were able to bring Rami into our room eventually, um, and that was the most emotional moment ever. I've got a video actually of, of the first time I met them both together, and that they had met each other, oh. and that was hugely, incredibly intense, a very very intense physical and emotional experience. Um, yeah, it was it was quite crazy, and the moment I held them both together was was nuts as well. It was just this feeling of absolute elation mm. of just pure joy and elation and magic it felt like magic it felt like just a miracle obviously you're in massive recovery still were you able to relish that moment and marvel at your own success after everything that you've gone through yeah I don't think I was able to relish in what I'd just done because that then was that didn't seem the focus the focus was oh my god are the boys okay oh my gosh how do I feed them how do I do this together how do I tandem um all all that sort of stuff and then came a whole additional array of um kind of procedures I guess in the sense that they were they were both not feeding very well and they had to have tubes put via their nose into their stomachs and um you know the nurse was coming in every three hours to do that and yeah it was just this weird crazy kind of operational process um that then became life in hospital and how long were you in hospital we were in hospital, um, so we went in on the Tuesday and we were discharged on the Sunday, but they weren't overly happy to discharge us on the Sunday um, because Rami's jaundice level um, was quite high, so we had to come back in on the Monday for another check, but we got to the we got to Sunday and we thought we just have to get home, that we are all going absolutely crazy and we just want to take these boys home, uh, but with the caveat that we had to kind of come, come back in um, for a couple of days afterwards for, for some final checks. Um, so, yeah, that we came home on Easter Sunday to a lovely, beautiful, sunny day. And it was just, oh, my God, it was such a high. We opened a bottle of champagne. <laughs> oh, perfect. Quite right. Yeah, that was incredibly special. Remember that car journey home. Remember the photo we've got outside the front door and their little car seats. And oh. my parents had been at the house all week and they prepared some food for us and put some balloons up and banners and presents. And it just felt so, so special. Oh, you got to celebrate what you'd done. Exactly, yeah. You get to enjoy them, but you also get the the reality of of learning how to grapple two babies at the same time one baby is 
wild enough. What on earth has the last few couple of months been like? I think you've just come out of your fourth trimester. What What's it been like? And I mean, how are you? Oh, um, incredibly intense and incredibly overwhelming and um, intense feelings of when does this become easier mm-hmm. is probably the, 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 the truth and truthful and blunt answer. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really know how to begin. It, it's just been a, a, a case of take it day by day, literally at points, nappy by nappy, feed by feed. I think that was your mantra. Mm. Um, I've tried to follow, just break it up into chunks and, don't think about the next day just try and really think about what, what you're doing today um because it's been really overwhelming we've been doing double double of everything and you know as much as everybody says with twins you must get them on the same schedule you must get them on a routine it's so much easier said than done you know they're different babies they are different you know for anyone you know listening or anyone that's had you've got you've got two two babies migs two two children you know Babies are different. Babies aren't the same. And, you know, if, if I'm trying to get them both to nap at the same time, well, one doesn't want to nap. You can't make you know, One them. maybe had a bit more food than the other one earlier. That You can't. And so so it's been really challenging because I feel like it's just a constant juggle from one than the other, one than the other. And if I'm really honest, and I want this to be an honest podcast and discussion, there is a huge amount of envy that I have of my friends who have one baby mm. because once they fed fed and burped and soothed their one baby and that one baby is perhaps then asleep they know they've got a window of downtime mm. you know whether they choose to have downtime or not doesn't matter that's that's by the by but they, mm. they've got a moment you know to do what they choose to do and I think with us and our story it doesn't look like that because even if the boys were on the same schedule it would require two of us to be dealing with them simultaneously in order to get some sense of, of downtime. Yeah. And as I said before, babies are different. So it might take one baby half an hour to go down. It might take the other five minutes. But there aren't always service around to do it. And so it's literally having to do it one after the other on repeat, which means your downtime window gets to like maybe 20 minutes before you go again. Yeah. And it's really, it's that acceptance and that realisation that is just torture and for me, it's been a it's been a, a kind of wild learning, um, I guess, and realization and changing of expectation ex- expectations that my maternity leave will not look the same as what my my singleton mum friends looks like. You know, yeah. and when I say that, I mean I always thought I'd be you know I'm in London, I'm in a great city for mat leave, and I'll go for a coffee, and then I'll go to a baby sensory class, or I'll do baby yoga, or baby massage, and then go here, there, and everywhere. And I know that's not the rea- the reality anyway for mums with one baby. I know that's kind of the the the, the romanticism of, of mat leave. But you know, I do sit down with my with my mum friends who have one baby, and we're maybe doing wine tasting, and I'm like, I'm going to go along to this today. I'm going to make this work, and I'm just envious of how they can enjoy a nice glass of wine because their one baby is settled, and because that baby's settled, they can enjoy their glass of wine. Yeah. Whereas if my one baby's settled. I can't quite enjoy that glass of wine because I can see the other one's about to drop. Yeah. And it's it it's just then this battle of do I even bother doing that? Do yeah. I even bother saying yes, I'll join in with that? Because it is just unforgivingly hard with two. Relentless. Juggling double. Like how do you burp two at the same time? Well, you can't. No. Um, as an example. 
I can only imagine that Gordon has played, therefore, an absolutely essential role in your mat leave. Has he taken paternity leave? What does your team look like? Yeah, it, it has very much been tag teaming, uh, man marking, <laughs> what we like to call it. Um, <laughs> Because it's it's impossible to do without. So he he had eight weeks of pat leave in total, um, and I breastfed directly from the breast, but also pumped a load during the day and the night so that he had enough to bottle feed my milk, mm. um, so that we could try and do feeds at the same time. Um, but it meant that my days were very much completely centered around pumping and feeding and pumping and feeding and pumping and feeding, um, which was really grueling and quite depressing to be to be candid um but in a way I feel so lucky you know the positives are that he has been able to be so involved um and can be so involved the bowl the boys 100% know who he is Mm. 100% and I do have you know mum friends say oh you know my baby doesn't know their dad they don't recognize their dad if I go out for the afternoon and leave them with their dad they scream all the time and so Mm. it really has been a massive positive that he has been doing 50% because they know us both like we are we are we are one person to them (laughs) so um that has been really special and I see the way they look at him and it's incredibly special Megs there's so much more we could talk about I can see that we're already running over I feel like maybe we'll need to have a follow-up conversation in a little bit of time to check back in on how things are and you blow me away because you are still breastfeeding you have breastfed two babies and I don't know how you're doing it (laughs) neither do I (laughs) I've not got a clue I don't and that's the thing that's funny you know I couldn't I don't think I could even give advice to anyone because I don't have a plan I don't have a structure I haven't thought about it I'm just as I said day by day you're in survival mode yeah survival mode absolutely I have a few quick fire questions to end on what has surprised you most about motherhood I think the complete feeling of lack of independence yeah lack of spontaneity and independence it has just been so surprising mm-hmm. um but also i guess more of a positive one um is the the juxtaposition daily of i need help but then you get the help and you don't want it yes because you don't want someone else dealing with your babies yes, that's so it's true it's so weird it's so unbelievably crazy, but you know we had help this morning, for example, and we so desperately need it. It's been fourteen weeks of us doing everything for twenty four hours a day, and we had four hours of help this morning. That's all it was, eight till midday, and it was really hard for me to see my baby being nappy changed by somebody else. Um, that I don't know, you know, effectively a stranger. And then my baby smiling at that stranger and giggling at that stranger because that's the phase they're in. That was really hard. So it's just, that has surprised me massively, that feeling of like, is it jealousy? I don't know. Is it protection? I don't know. It's an amalgamation of feelings that I didn't expect to to feel. Oh, thank you for saying that because, oh, so relatable. Yeah. And the feeling like you can't do it all, but you want to do it all. It's such a, it's so conflicting. What is a tip or trick that you've learned? Like a a baby hat practically that's, that's helped you. Oh, okay. I've got a great one. Um, so my boys both have quite long legs and I was like, oh my God, they don't even fit into newborn baby grows. Cut off the feet Mm. of the baby grows. 
Smart. Because then their legs can go into it and their feet can come out the other end. So as they grow, yeah, they might look like little crop top trousers. Um, cropped trousers, rather, not crop top trousers. <laughs> Three-quarter length cropped trousers. But, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to, um, to waste them. What's a hilarious moment you've had so far as mum or as parents? <laughs> Sorry, Rami, but this one's probably with Bo. Um, he is such a little character. Um, he's so demanding and so needy at times. Um, he literally squeals like a little pig <laughs> if you remotely stop feeding him for one second. Um, and I have to say, we've got to the point of, of just like belly laughing with it because it is comical. It is absolute comedy value how much he squeals and screams. And as soon as you then bring either the bottle or your boob back to his mouth, it's like, oh, I'm fine again. You know, it's literally like 100% screaming to, oh, I'm great. You've given me my feedback. And it, it's just hilarious. What has been a surprise to you about what it's actually like to look after twins I think probably like being irritated Mm -hmm. I know that sounds really silly but doing the same thing over and over and over is just is that the right word irritating maybe not repetition monotony Mm. all kind of all, all all that all that sort of thing and I think just getting fed up of the incessant crying and hearing two in fact backtrack all of that hearing two cries at once is torture it is so hard because I'm forever conflicted as to who to go to who to Mm. get first and even if I get one I'm trying to soothe them neither of us are very calm when there's another cry happening so the two cries at once are unbearably difficult to, to manage um but that is just do you have any advice for expectant twin mums Oh gosh, I really don't know. I mean, I used to hate being told, take advantage of, you know, your holidays now and your sleep now and your independence now. And I used to hate being told that, but now I understand why people say it. Um, so maybe, maybe that would be, <laughs> without saying it mm. myself, maybe, maybe um, heed some of that mm. advice if you can and don't get irritated with it. Um, I, I personally found it really hard having so many different opinions and views on how to do twin parenting and how to raise twins. Um, everyone has a different opinion on how to do it. Loads of people have told me, just formula feed them, your life will be way easier. Um, that, that's been really hard because my preference has been breastfeeding, so I wish there was more support out there with how to breastfeed mm. twins, um, which I don't think there is a huge amount of support. Um, so I would just say to any expectant twin parents, just do you. And I know that sounds really simple and basic and stupid, but just do what you feel instinctively works for you. I, for example, have been led by my babies for the last 14 weeks. I haven't put them into a routine. I haven't put them into a nap schedule. Um, I've totally let them feed on demand. I've let them sleep on demand. I've let them be awake for however long they want to be awake for because that is the way I've got through it. Um, I think by adding more structure actually brings me a bit more stress because then I'm checking the clock and panicking and thinking, right, you've got to go down, you've got to go down too, and I don't know how to do both together, so I'm just letting it be. And so I think my advice would probably be just let it be. Don't worry about what people say about how you must have a stringent routine because you have twins. I've really struggled with that. And I think the the reality is that it's sometimes easier just to let them figure out their own pattern, their natural pattern, and now I'm getting to the point where I'm thinking, okay, maybe I can start to tweak it and manipulate mm. it slightly. Um, 
but yeah it's hard I think to really get that nailed with twins so just don't berate yourself if you if you can't if you can't do that you've got an endless list of jobs already don't give yourself another huge pressure on top of everything that you're trying to manage yeah yeah exactly I said I those were my last questions I have two more questions for you what do the next few years look like for you and your family have you had a second to even think about it maybe not yeah we do think about it actually um we definitely do because we're always forward thinkers and planners and like to kind of push the boundaries and you know we always always said we've said for the last 10 years that we'll move abroad and we were due to actually move to San Francisco before I fell pregnant the first time round, and we cancelled that because of being pregnant and so there's always that kind of niggling away in the background, you know, will we eventually move abroad and do we perhaps want to be, you know, bringing the boys up when they're little, you know, in a more, uh, from our perspective, slightly more outdoorsy, um, you know, active, active life lifestyle. Um, so so we're, we're sort of toying with that. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's weird thinking, you know, I'm back to work in end of March thinking about what we do childcare wise, you know, we've got some thoughts, but it just feels so crazy to think about that right now. And again, back to the point about, I don't want someone else looking after my kids. Mm. You know, that, that, that is such a, it's such a, a heart, a heart pull. I think the idea of having two little toddlers at the same age running around is frightening. Honestly, I can't quite get my head around that. Just, you know, it's that feeling of, oh my God, you can't, you can't go back from here. You can't take them back. <laughs> they're, they're there forever. <laughs> I, I just that's bonkers to me it's bonkers that we did this and you're in it now you're on you're on that journey and you cannot turn back yeah that for me has been a weird adjustment and realization as well the thing I find hard is you know you wish away the hard parts and then you're like oh my god they're 14 weeks I wish they were four weeks again and it, that's again another juxtaposition that you're dealing with every day one final question for you and I'm so impressed that we've got through this with very minor baby interruption is there anything that we've not spoken about that feels important to say or important to share I would like to say and I guess and ask to anyone listening to this or who shares this or talks about this let's just be all be a little bit more real around what it's like to be to be parents um I I think part of the struggle that people have is that the depiction on social media as I said earlier, is that it's romantic and joyous and full of love and giggles and smiles and sweet moments. And there is that, there is that in my experience for that 5% of the day. But what about the the other 95%? Yeah. Let's just try and be a bit more real with what we're sharing and what we're, what we're you know, leading others to, to believe just so that other people who are going through the same thing don't feel so alone. And I think that's really, really important. One final note, actually, that I think is really important to share, regardless of what's been said and how hard I have depicted it to be, that does not take away from the absolute love and unconditional love that you have for your babies and how you still would never, ever take it back. You know, like, I just think that hopefully that goes without saying, but I think I'm really conscious of things being negative, but that's just the reality of the the, the day-to-day um hardship or hardness however however you want to call it but the love that you have for the babies is so unconditional and so intense and um yeah wouldn't change it I think that's a great note to end on and Megs thank you so much for your candor I can only say you're doing an amazing job and and thank you for sharing all of this with us you're very very welcome that's the end of this episode take care 
and see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode of Bloom Stories, we would so appreciate it if you could rate, review and subscribe. Apparently, it will help other mums know that we exist.